edition of the Torah Teachers Roundtable with your host Ray Harrison, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call, where, as always, we continue to hope that you'll find this program educational and interesting and rewarding, but above all, you'll take that lesson from the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself, see if these things be true. All right. Good afternoon, folks. Welcome back. Happy Tuesday. And it's time for a, uh, a look at the prophet Isaiah and uh, some of the uh, some of the things that are probably less known in terms of the history of the times. But uh, we're going to begin at chapter 20, where we uh, just essentially touched on last week when we left. Uh, unfortunately, do not yet have MP online. I think he'll be with us. He was. I talked to him earlier today, and I think he'll be on. But in any case, uh, meanwhile, it's just Ray and I. We'll get started. The first uh, of the uh, the chapters that we'll probably talk about today is a real short one. That's chapter 20, and um, I'll read it momentarily, and uh, um, we'll we'll get started. But uh, first, let me just say good afternoon to Ray. How are you doing? And um, anything uh, on your mind, especially as we get started this week? Oh, uh, just uh, greetings to everybody. It's uh, good to be back. We have uh, dug our way out of the deep freeze here in uh, along the Front Range of Colorado, and we're almost, almost, almost flirted with 50 degrees today, and it, it feels like summer <laughs> compared to what we've been doing. But uh, so that's that's been nice. I actually had a chance to do a little wandering around the hacienda outside today, and and all that. So that felt real good. Okay, I can understand that. We uh, we try to get water to uh, for the animals, and uh, this time of year there's days, and we had a bunch of them where uh, the valve simply never unfreezes and the water doesn't flow. So it was nice to have uh, a little bit of what at least seemed like a reasonable winter day again. Finally, um, in any case, let's go ahead. Um, I, uh, yeah, I expect yeah. MP may be having some problems with his uh, his Skype. If I need to, I'll call him on the phone momentarily. So I'm I'm still uh, figuring out what's going on there. Okay, he says his, his Skype is not working. So uh, we'll get him online momentarily. But first, let me read, and then I'll let you comment on uh, on some of this while I uh, while I work the uh, <laughs> the control panel. Uh, but ultimately, well, the, uh, the in- patch him in, huh? yeah, the introduction is that this has to do with the carrying away of a whole lot of folks, both Egyptians and Ethiopians, or uh, Kushites is another. Way way we'll see that uh, rendered in scripture, um, into captivity by the king of this time, Assyria. And uh, there is a uh, there's an interesting reference in here to uh, the idea of how captives are shamed and carried away. And the prophet Isaiah evidently walks naked for quite a while. Now, some of the, uh, the more, um, uh, I guess you'd say, uh, uh, those that, that lived in a time where they just can't imagine a prophet actually doing that would say, well, he's probably just wearing a little loincloth or something. We don't know, and Scripture says naked, so I'm going to take take it at its word. But ultimately, that doesn't matter so much as the symbolism of what it is they're pointing out here. This was to be a shameful thing, and um, that's that's a big element of what's going on. But uh, let, me, let me start, and it goes something like this, these um, these first few verses. In the year that Tartan, 
came to Ashdod when Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him, and he fought against Ashdod and took it. So the date of the prophecy is the year that Ashdod, say the uh, the commentaries, that's a strong city of the Philistines, which would have been the coastal land there, um, and um, was besieged and taken by the army of the Assyrians. It's, unyear, it's unclear exactly, because we know it was during the time of the reign of Hezekiah, exactly what year it was. So there's some, there's some doubt. But in any case, that's the setting here. Uh, he fought against Ashdod and took it. And then it says, at the same time, Yahuwah spoke by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and remove the sackcloth from your body. Take your sandals off your feet. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. And then Yahuwah said to him, just as my servant Isaiah, well, it doesn't say to him, it just says in general, uh, Yahuwah said, just as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign and a wonder against Egypt and Cush or Ethiopia, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians as prisoners and the Ethiopians as captives, young and old, naked and barefoot, with their buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. And I'll go ahead and finish it, and then we'll go to Ray, and then I'll uh, try to get MP online. Then they shall be afraid and ashamed of Ethiopia, their expectation, and Egypt, their glory. And the inhabitants of the territory will say in that day, surely such is our expectation. Whenever we flee for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria, and how shall we escape? So um, clearly there's kind of a negative implication to all this, as you might expect, being taken into captivity and um, embarrassed by by the shame of literally being done so uh, naked. All right, uh, go ahead, Ray, and um, I'll uh, I'll see what I can do while you're uh, while you're talking about that. Okay, um, good luck. Uh, may may the <laughs> may, may technology serve you. Yeah, that would be a change, <laughs> um, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, well, it would be nice. Uh, anyway, uh, according to uh, and I'm looking at a commentary that I've been using for this program called the Prophecy of Isaiah: An Introduction and Commentary by J. Alec Mutier, uh, a very fine book, uh, very complete and all that. He, he uh, summarizes many uh, sources here. And, and some comments, I'll read some comments uh, that uh, he made there, kind of filling in for MP's role of, of doing commentary and all that, and then we can go back and maybe talk about it in just more general terms. Uh, it, it says here, it says, for the first third time, Isaiah offers a fulfillment within the immediate future, which, when the people see it happening, will provide ground for their faith and Yahuwah's greater and wider purposes. So uh, we are told, uh, we are seeing here in these uh, five or six verses uh, of verse 20, that this was a, a near prophecy to Isaiah. It was something that the people at that time could see coming to pass, and it would bolster their uh their belief in the Lord and also their belief in uh, Isaiah's ability to speak uh, 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 with authority for for the Lord and all that. Uh, my notes here uh, said basically that this uh, the Assyrian campaign against Ashdod took place in 711 B.C. I don't know uh, if that is accurate or not. I have no reason to doubt it. Um, and also it said that the Four previous years that Egyptian had been unsettling the Palestinian states with promises of aid uh, and all that should they rise against Assyria. And uh, I, I think what was, has been happening here is, as we have read in the previous chapters, that the Cushite 
king of Egypt at that point in time. Remember that the, in that dynasty, I believe it was the 25th dynasty, that the uh, Ethiopians had come in and taken control of Egypt. And uh, I'm not remembering his name right now. I'll look. Um, but uh, that he was a, a king that was looking to make a, a real name for himself. And so he was trying to endear himself uh, to surrounding countries uh, with promises of aid and this and that and the other thing. Sounds, uh, sounds kind of like we can uh, see some modern-day politicking going on where, uh, where we're trying to curry favor with different nations, promising aid and, and help and this sort of thing uh, in the skirmishes around the world <clears throat> and so on. Uh, and then, uh, interestingly, the, the Lord, uh, Yahuwah speaks to Isaiah and basically tells him that he wants to physically uh, do an enactment of something. And I, I believe that Mark was exactly right. In biblical times, uh, the uncovering of a person, the nakedness of a person was a, uh, was a sign of shame. It was not uh, a prideful sort of thing as it seems to be or can be today that uh, having your nakedness revealed was uh, was usually a thing of, uh, that was private matters. Uh, those were things of great shame. So for him to walk uh, barefoot, uh, which means he was, he was subjugated, uh, when you take prisoners, you take their sandals. Why do you take sandals? So they can't flee quickly. You bet. Away from you. Uh, 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 oftentimes, uh, it was also a, a common uh, military practice uh, in many places to take, uh, if you captured somebody, you took off one of their shoes. And that way, if they did try to run or take off, being completely out of kilter with one shoe on and one shoe off, it would make it, make it nearly impossible for them to flee. But so he's doing this, and, and I would remind you, of uh, uh, of uh, 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 what happens to the prophet Ezekiel, if you'll recall, in chapter 4 of Ezekiel. And I'm going to go there uh, just real quickly. In uh, Ezekiel 4, the Lord says that he's talking to Ezekiel, and he says, Then lie on your left side and place the punishment of the house of Israel upon it. For the number of days that you lie on it, you shall bear their punishment. For I assign to you a number of days, 390 days, equal to the number of years of their punishment. So long shall you bear the punishment of the house of Israel. And when you have oh, completed these, okay, hang you on shall uh, lie we're, down we're a second on. time, but on your right side, oh. bear the punishment of the house of Judah. Hang on, 40 hang days, on. I assign you. A day for each year. I'm trying to finish my thought. I know. Good guys. <laughs> sorry. And, and uh, the sorry. I hate to be uh, snarky, but let me finish. Okay. Um, and uh, the uh, the the thing here is that again, the Lord talks to Ezekiel in this case and tells him to lie on one side for so many days and another side for so many days to to in essence act out. This judgment that's happening. I think that's exactly uh, what he's telling Isaiah. He's saying he's saying the captives, uh, uh, both the Cushites and the Egyptians, are going to be shamed when they're captured by the Assyrians. And, and this is you. You're walking around drawing attention to the fact. Oh my gosh, a prophet is walking around barefoot and naked. Why? 
why on earth is he doing this to his shame? Because he's trying to tell the, the nation, remember that this is a, a prophecy uh, about uh, uh, the, the uh, Palestinian or the, 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 uh, um, uh, uh, the, uh, the Egyptians and the Kushites, and we're talking about those that are along the God, what's now the Gaza Strip and all of that, what's happening there. But it's really a prophecy to the, to the nation of Israel and to Judah to tell them, you don't want to make treaties with these people. It's not going to go well for you. The Lord hasn't blessed this. It's not going to go well. And eventually, and I'll, I'll conclude with this, in verse 6, it says the inhabitants of the coastland, that would be the, the uh, Philistines, yep. the Palestinians, uh, will say in that day, behold, uh, what has happened? <laughs> Those who we hope to come and help us and, and all this and that, uh, whom we fled and all the, what, what can we, what can, they, they've been subjugated and they're not around. What will we do now? How will we escape? So we put our, we, we bet on, we bet on the wrong horse. We're in trouble now. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's so, kind of a, a so summary of I'm history. I'm glad everybody's here. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and apologies, Ray. I've been trying to get Mark on for so long and trying so many ways. Finally got him on here, but he wasn't hearing us, I don't think, and so he was he was talking there. Um, uh, let me add one thing, and then we'll go to MP and say howdy, and that is that um, you're right with respect to Ezekiel sure. lying on his side. And a couple of other uh, obvious places come to mind, too. Oftentimes, the prophets would physically act something out. Certainly, uh, the two sticks that Ezekiel references in chapter 37, one good example, probably the most tragic in, in the book, was, was Hosea. And, uh, you know, marrying a, um, a prostitute, a whore in Gomer, and actually having and naming his children some of the most tragic names in Scripture to make a point. Absolutely. So, okay, MP, I think we finally have you. It was not easy, but uh, I think we got you on here. If you can hear us, um, welcome and good afternoon. And uh, if you've got anything, I went ahead and read the uh, chapter, the 20th chapter of Isaiah. And if you want to comment on that, go ahead. And then if not, we'll move on into, into chapter 21 here in a minute. All right, well, I got a little bit on chapter 20. Well, I Shalom to you both. <laughs> yeah, we're, it's we're good happy to, to make the connection. This, is, this has not been a fun day for me. Anyway, yeah, uh, I'm going to start at the beginning of uh, Chapter 20. I've got a couple of pages worth of notes there anyway. Um, uh, Stone Sinat comments that Sargon was most likely Sennacherib. Okay, the, uh, the commentators say that Sargon was Sennacherib. That's what it says in Stones to Knock. The concept uh, that Ash- Ashdod mentioned in this verse took place either the year he besieged Jerusalem or three years before. Okay? Azamra seems to agree. They, uh, they say this on couple of first couple of verses. Um, the comments on Tartan. Tartan was one of the generals of Sennacherib, who it is probable uh, is here called Sargon. And in the book of Tobid, Sakardonas and Sakardan, uh, against whom Tirhaka, the king of Cush or Ethiopia, was in league with the king of Egypt. And Second uh, Kings chapter 18 and verse 17 uh, gives us a little bit of support for that. And the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rab Saris and Rab Shekah from Lachish to King Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem, and they went up. And they came to Jerusalem, and when they were come up, 
they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the fuller's field. That's in Second Kings again, verses seventeen, uh, chapter eighteen and verse seventeen. Now TSK comments in a similar vein. They say, according to the rabbinic sages, Sargon, king of Assyria, is Sennacherib, uh, who had eight names, according to Sanhedrin twenty ninety four a. Tartan was the name or title of one of his chief officers, whom he sent to campaign against Ashdod, while he himself fought against Egypt and Cush, before returning to Judea for his abortive attempt, assault on Jerusalem. Now, seeming agreement between TSK and Azamra, according to what I just read. But when I went online to check out Sanhedrin 94a, here's what I found. It says, the angel appointed to oversee the world said before him, master of the universe, perform the will of this righteous person. A divine voice emerged and said, my secret is mine, my secret is mine. This matter will remain secret as I am not bringing the re- not yet bringing the redemption. The prophet said, woe unto me until when the exile continues. A divine voice emerged and said, The treacherous deal treacherously, and the treacherous deal very treacherously. That in Isaiah chapter 24 and verse 16. We'll get there. Yep. And Rava, uh, and some we'll say that uh, Rabbi Yitzhak says, Until looters and looters of looters come, Messiah will not come. Okay, now I think that we've, uh, that we're seeing here, uh, it may be that Hamas on October 7 attack on Israel and the last three plus months of bloodshed in the land. If that is true, and it's a, a major if, uh, we may have officially entered the end of days. I cannot imagine the end of days beginning any more her- horrifically. Uh, Azamra also has this brief comment on verse 2. At the time, Hashem spoke by the hand of Isaiah, son of Amotz, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from off your loins, and put off your shoe from your foot. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot, in verse 2. And he obeyed Yah. <clears throat> Here's what Azamra says about that. According to Metzudas David, Adlok, it says, uh, <laughs> and I really don't remember what that means, the reason that the uh, prophet was instructed to loose the sackcloth from off his loins is because he had been wearing it as a sign of mourning over the exile of the ten tribes, which had taken place some years earlier. Now he was instructed to display an even more demonstrative sign of calamity by going naked and barefoot like a captive. And Azamra also has this. They say Radak on verse 2 states that we cannot take the words he did so and went around naked and barefoot, literally, because it is unthinkable that God would command the prophet to do such a thing, just as God did not literally command the prophet Hosea to take an immoral woman as a wife in what? Hosea 1-2. Okay, pause. Rather, Isaiah received this command in his... 
I'm sorry? Okay, I was going to say, got to pause just for a second, because uh, there are occasionally times when we read something rabbinic, and I say, why, oh, why do we make that assumption? Um, and it's 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 often the case, I know we've had this discussion in the past, MP, that they would say, oh, certainly God wouldn't have, have any of the uh, the people of, uh, you know, his people do anything that would be uh, embarrassing or negative. And, and uh, honestly, I think that's a... Um, that's an unjustified assumption, and uh, uh, while it may or may not be true, and it's interesting to talk about, it, I'm not necessarily wanting to believe it. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, these are just guys like like you and me and, and Ray and like all of the people who are listening to us on the radio at this particular time. They're just guys. Well, and, and, and that, be that I as mean, it may. Yeah, they're in a, they're in a position of authority. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, be that as it may, it's it's a uh, it's at least reasonable to question assumptions and say, uh, you know, can they prove this from scripture, or are they just making it up, or suggesting it has to be this way because we just can't imagine anything else, and and that's where I have the problem. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and I agree with you. I agree with you on that. Now, the the possibility is that we're we're talking about uh, rabbis who knew the ones that they were talking about. And they knew that they were godly men. And I, that's the way that I at least assume until I can find something different. Okay? And that's why I like to, I like to comment uh, using the, uh, the Azamra and other, other uh, uh, rabbinic uh, uh, sources. Okay? So anyway, to finish this quote, and then I'll give it to you at the end of this sentence. Isaiah received this command. Okay, and that command was to uh, walk about barefoot and and naked in his prophetic vision and saw himself in his vision going naked and barefoot, but not in the kitchen. And that's the way that I see it anyway. And that's that's a Mark paraphrase, that one. Uh, So uh, that's what I got on verses one and two. Okay. Um, We've we've more or less commented. If you have anything else that you want to add, Ray, did you have any comments you want to make on any of that before we uh, before we see if Mark's got more? Uh, yeah, I think we've got about three minutes till the bottom of the hour. But uh, the uh, I, I would just say too, uh, and my my take on uh, rabbinic commentary or uh, church fathers' commentary or anybody's commentary, including my own, uh, the, it, it's it's good to note that uh, people say these things. It's interesting. Uh, sometimes they're even right. Uh, <laughs> yep. You know, but. Uh, I think it's up to each of the listeners to to take it to heart, take it to scripture, trying to figure out uh, where, where the truth in it it lies. I know that that many of the commentaries that I've read, both on the Christian and the and the rabbinic side, uh, are just uh, I, I think full of cornflakes. But that's my <laughs> personal opinion. There are lots of folks listening that may think I'm full of cornflakes too, and that's okay. Okay, very good. All right, MP, go ahead if you've got some more, and then we'll, um, we, we'll, we've got just enough time to get part of it anyway before the break. Mark? Do we lose MP? I think we may have lost him. We lost him. him. Uh, okay, well, at least yeah, we're close. I'm looking at my screen, and I, th- I don't see his feed. Okay, and, and unfortunately, remember this, and, and for the audience, too, that was part of the reason why it, the interruption was with Ray. Uh, because he can't see the screen, I can't type to him and say, hey, no, don't interrupt. And, um, you know, he was answering the phone and uh, um, <laughs> not seeing anything. Uh, okay. Uh, that makes that makes sense. Yeah, well, yeah. for the listening audience, this is the 
the the wonder of radio. Uh, <laughs> yes, and uh, honestly, but anyway, so I prefer. Uh, anyway, well, I, I think just just to kind of to finish finish up this uh, uh, th- this thought before we go to the end of the hour, that uh, obviously uh, <clears throat> the Lord intended to shame the Egyptians and the Cushites for their interference, uh, and He was going to do it to prove to Judah that uh that they can't trust other nations to be their help if they if they are looking uh if they're looking to uh for help uh they need to look to the lord to find the help uh to find their help and all that and again uh we see similar thing happening in first uh, samuel where the the uh, philistines and and the and the the nation at that point in time we're fighting one another, and you'll re, you may recall that story when Hophni and, and Phineas get the get the ark and take it from Shiloh up to uh, I think it's Ebenezer. That okay, well we'll pick it up there when we get back, and uh, let's finish that thought. We'll be right back, folks. After that, I am here for reasons. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday the Lord turns around because all my life I've been waiting for, I've been praying for, for the people to say that we don't want to fight no more. There'll be no more wars, and our children will live one day. Dum 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 dum. Come on, come on, dum 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 dum. Come on, come on, dum 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 dum. Keep the doors are joy to do. Let's say that I'm by the Lord. The six thirteen and many more. Don't they know what's really true? All right, we are back, I certainly hope, at any rate. This is the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Tanakh edition, and we've had all kinds of difficulties today what with uh, Skype and so forth. And just so folks know, one of the things that I just love about a really nasty tools is when it's most inconvenient, they force you to download new software, and that's what's happening, uh, just happened anyway. I think we have Mark back, so uh, without further ado, let me say, uh, if you had some more to... Go ahead, Mark, what... I said we do. Okay, good. So <laughs> you got Mark back. Go ahead and go ahead and continue with what you had, and then we'll uh, then we'll continue with the uh, the next chapter when you're ready. I had just finished on chapter two when uh, we were so rudely interrupted, uh, and and we were interrupted by the uh, by the, the station break, you know. So I can kind of see that. But anyway, I got through verses one and two. Okay. Go ahead. So go on with what you have uh, for the rest of the chapter. All right. Well, I haven't got all the rest of the chapter. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna work on verse uh, cha- verses three and four if I can. Um, Zamra has this opening thought on verses three and four. Uh, as explained in verses three and four, this was a sign that Egypt and Cush 
would be carried into captivity. Now, Cush, uh, you, you see it quite often in the KJV. They called it Cush. It was actually what we called Ethiopia. Right. Uh, and literally, I think, as the KJV alludes in verse 3, Cush um, was an African nation uh, to Egypt's south, also drawing its water from the Nile River and using it as a source of commerce and conquest. Cush may have tried to tease Egypt into an armed conflict in an attempt to destroy Egypt. The first word from Yah is the Hebrew 834, rather, Ashar, which means to progress or to move forward. The English translation would be in the same manner as. Okay, And he goes on to explain why Yeshayahu walked around naked and barefoot for three years. My interpretation would be to give Yehuda an idea of how Yah was seeing them naked, barefoot, and anywhere but in the kitchen. The king, the king was trying to cook up something, but only they, other than Yah, had a clue as to what it was. It looks as though they were trying to get away with something, that it was only discussed among themselves and in private where nobody could hear except Yah, of course. Now, when Yeshayahu told them this prophecy, they were going to be dumbfounded at the uh, prophet's prescience, uh, like he was a spy in their midst while they planned against Yah and his anointed, Yeshayahu, which Yah and Yeshayahu actually did know because Yah was there listening and thinking how cute they were trying to put a sneaky one by him forgetting that he was there in their midst for every breath they had ever taken, every laugh they had ever had, at another's expense. And he ain't happy. The idea is every bit of Israel and for Ethiopia and Assyria, okay? Every bit. The idea is for Israel, Ethiopia, and Assyria. Yah is going to defeat them, all three nations, in battle, and carry off all there, all three nations, mighty men into captivity. And just who would be the conqueror of all three nations? We are not told directly just who that nation was that would conquer them all, Assyria, Egypt, and Cush. But I think we can figure that the nation-state that conquers them all will be, drumroll please, Israel, under Yah's leadership and probably in the last days. This will be the post Gogo Magog wartime uh, when Marya, Yeshua, will rule from his throne in the new earth and heavens when every planet will be habitable and be ruled by Yeshua through his anointed vice regents. And those will be us. Okay? Believers in this time who are trying to teach his word. Okay. People will be born in the millennium by the usual means, if you catch my drift. That's going to be going on literally forever. Uh, humans will be doing that. Now, the, those humans who are resurrected, perhaps not, but those humans that uh, come after the resurrection, very certainly that, that that's going to happen. They're going to be procreating forever. And they'll be procreating with unfallen bodies because they'll be remade into what they were, what they would have been had we not fallen in the first place. Anyway, that's what I got through, uh, through verse 4, I think. 
Okay, well, so tell me when you're ready to move on. I got we'll... nothing else. Okay, does that mean you're, you're ready to continue? How about Let's five and six? Yeah, I'm ready to continue. All I right. Guess. Let's continue then with chapter 21. And uh, this is the burden against the wilderness of the sea is how the first ver- version begins here. The first verse, rather. It says, as whirlwinds in the south pass through, so it comes from the desert, from a terrible land. A distressing vision is declared to me. The treacherous dealer deals treacherously, and the plunderer plunders. Go figure, right? Go up, O Elam. Besiege, O Media. All its sightings I have made to cease. Now, I want to pause here just for a second, because this is something I don't think of particularly often, but sometimes it kind of, uh, it kind of looks strange when we see something in uh, scripture where we say, okay, this is almost certainly, right, a place name or a name that uh, we recognize from elsewhere, but occasionally, in the modern context, it sounds interesting, and uh, that is what struck me in this first few verses. Go up, O Elam, besiege, O media. And I got to thinking, you know, really, that's also prophetic, and I don't, I don't put it past the Creator to be able to do this through multiple language translations anyway, that um, here is something which certainly sounds like it applies today. Besiege O Media. That's exactly what they're doing to a nation that has um, arguably deserves it and, and forgotten him and so forth. Um, any, any comments, guys? And if not, I'll continue on uh, with some other elements here, but I just figured I'd wait in case. We've, we've been through verse 2. No, no, I just was asking yes, if you have any comments specifically about Besiege O Media. Then I'll continue reading. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, the uh, this prophecy is addressed to Babylon, of course, uh, as seen from verse 9. We'll see that in a little bit. The prophet calls in uh, it wilderness of the West because he foretells a destruction that will come like a windstorm from the Persians and Medes. Babylonia's eastern neighbors. Now, Babylonia will be so vulnerable that anyone will be able to attack her, according to Ibn Ezra. Uh, Elohim will end all the size of those who are mistreated by Babylon uh, because the tyrant will be vanquished. That all according to Rashi, and I think that Rashi's a pretty sharp guy. So I think that probably that's going to be true. Um, that's what I got through verse 2 anyway. Uh, just one, one, since you're asking for comments, Mark, it's interesting. We have gone at least, uh, I, I am reading from uh, my English Bible is the English standard, uh, that I'm reading and, and chapter 20 was written very much in a prose formatting and format and style. And when we get to Fallen, Fallen is Babylon 21, uh, uh in this, then, uh, the formatting changes. Uh, in the Hebrew, I, I don't have a Hebrew Bible that's formatted, uh, as the scrolls would have been written, so I can't see it. Uh, but, but this is, uh, chapter 21 is written in, in poetic style. Yeah. And so in my case, I guess what I get from that is kind of, we have the, nar- <laughs> the narrator <laughs> in, uh, chapter 20 telling us, meanwhile, kids, this is what happened back at the ranch. And then when we get to 21, we get the the words out of God's mouth as as He spoke them, if you will. In other words, in a poetic, uh, lyric kind of fashion. It seems that it's it's written in a different style. All right, very interesting. And um, with that, let me go ahead and just read on a couple yeah. more verses. I'll get to the to what looks like a break here. So um, this is um, this is the prophet, and it's written. Um, 
well, as you say, it's written poetically, but it also sounds like um, a lot of it's written in the first person. So, besiege, O media, all its sightings I have made to cease. Mm -hmm. Therefore, my loins are filled with pain. Pangs have taken a hold of me, like the pangs of a woman in labor. I was distressed when I heard. I was dismayed when I saw. My heart wavered. Fearfulness frightened me. The night for which I longed had turned into fear for me. Prepare the table. Set a watchman in the tower. Eat and drink. Arise, you princes. Anoint the shield. And... um, there, there, there follows a bit more. Now, in some of the commentaries I've seen, you guys can comment on this too. And I'll go first to you, Ray, after, after I pause here. But, um, there are certainly references to, uh, the time of, um, of Babylon and, uh, the time of, uh, um, uh, Nebuch- uh, not the, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, um, Balthasar. And, uh, the, the famous, um, uh, line Belshazzar, from, yeah. Uh, yeah, Belshazzar, that, uh, the handwriting on the wall. Uh, many, many tekel ufarsen and so forth. And, and that that might be a reference to what we're seeing here, you know, by, uh, the night for which I longed has turned into fear for me. And a reference to setting the table, eat and drink. And, and, uh, it ain't gonna be such a great night after all. Uh, so go ahead, Ray. Anything you wanna, you wanna go? Just, uh, at this point, just, just the generalities of it, uh, of it all. And you're right. It is, it is being written in first person, uh, more or less, uh, and, uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I think also that he's, that he's, uh, uh, lecturing the folks. In other words, you, you folks, you're, uh, uh, they, they, I mean, five, they prepare the table, they spread their eggs, they eat and they drink. And, and it's just, it's kind of like, oh, well, w- w- they don't see it coming. It's, uh, you know, lay lay out the dinner. It's eat and drink as usual. You know, uh, and and that kind of thing. So I'm going to turn it over to MP so he can, uh, if you've got uh, commentary from maybe verse one through verse five that you want to read. Now, now would be a good time to do it. Okay. Well, here you go. This is the best I can do for you. The sure. uh, the, the burden of the wilderness of the sea is what this whole thing is overarchingly called in verse one. The, the first 12 verses of this chapter make up a prophecy against Babylon falling into two sections, verses 1 through 5 and verses 6 through 11. I'm going to comment a little bit on verses 1 through 5. Mm-hmm. Babylon is called the wilderness of the sea because she was conquered by Persia and Media, which are to her northeast across the wilderness, and in order to reach her, they had to go towards the Yam, the sea. In other words, um, westwards. That's according to Radak on verse one. Now, despite the fact that Isaiah was already has already prophesied the uh, fall of Babylon in Isaiah chapter thirteen verses one and following, he returns to this again and again because of the great evil that she perpetrated against Israel, according to Radak again. The uh, 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 that, by the way, Radak is a is shortened form for Rabbi David Kimchi. Okay. Now, the uh, the prophecy against Babylon is harsh, because this traitor and plunderer will herself be betrayed and plundered. In verse two, therefore, are my loins filled with anguish? This prophet is compassionate and mourns over the retribution of the nations. That in verse three, and according to Rashi. And in verses 4 and 5, the prophet predicts his brief stabbing images 
uh, this, uh, in brief stabbing images, I'm sorry, the scene that would take place on the night that Belshazzar would make his feast, thinking that he had defeated the Persians only to see the writing on the wall and be killed that very night, as told in Daniel chapter 5. And, and it's amazing how the, uh, the various different prophets of Yah were given visions of exactly the same thing, and they were as much, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles apart, and they're all getting the same kind of, of, uh, uh, prescience on exactly what was going to be happening to their enemies, and exactly what was going to be happening to their enemies who called themselves Israelites as well. Anyway, that's what I got through verse five. Okay. Uh, Ray, you have anything else you want to move on? No, go ahead and read on. Okay, so, um, for thus has Yahuwah said to me, Go, set a watchman, let him declare what he sees. And he saw a chariot with a pair of horsemen, a chariot of donkeys, and a chariot of camels. And he listened earnestly with great care. Then he cried, A lion, my lord. I stand continually on the watchtower in the daytime. I've set at my post every night. And look, here comes a chariot of men with a pair of horsemen. Then he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And all the carved images of her gods he has broken to the ground. So um, this is one of those places where you you look at it and, uh, you know, my immediate reaction is to say, wait a minute, we've heard that phrase before. As a matter of fact, it appears more than once in Scripture, uh, one time here, obviously, and then again, um, perhaps uh, more well-known to most Christians in Revelation 18, too, where um, clearly it's not necessarily a reference to the time that is already passed at that point, because uh, they knew it had already passed, but something else indeed. So... Um, I have said this before. I think it's always kind of interesting to think about. Revelation is a second witness, in my opinion, on a number of scores, because uh, I've even heard people say, well, Revelation is almost like a, uh, a plagiarism of other prophets. And that's another way of saying a second witness, because the things that were seen there and foretold uh, not only had uh, been prophesied before, and in many cases they'd already happened before. And that's what makes all this so interesting. So um, uh, was that you, Mark? Uh, go ahead, if so. Yes, it was. I said I agreed with you. It's absolutely what it is. Revelation is just we're going to be seeing the same kind of stuff in our future as Israel saw in its past. And that's that's we're going to learn the same lesson, basically. Uh, yeah, and sometimes you'd say, well, I hope so. Uh, and the question is, do, do people ever learn that <laughs> lesson? But um, all right, Ray, anything uh, you want? You want me to continue to read on? Uh, that was a there's a break there, and we can uh, we can come back if you if you prefer. Either way. Uh, just just a, a quick comment. You were asking about the times in, uh, that we see this fallen, fallen as Babylon. We see it two places in Revelation. Yeah. Also in chapter 14. Uh, uh, that also uh, another angel, a second one followed, saying, "Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great." She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So uh, again, yes, uh, it's it, it's it's reflected several places in Scripture. Uh, uh, anyway, well, also also in ten. I don't know if you got through ten or not. That's kind of the the end of the paragraph, if you will. Okay, I'll read on in just a second. Uh, the, the end of this section on Babylon. Mark, you were going to say something. Um, I, I, I just 
Yeah, I got something going on here. I got to get this thing to stop. There it is. Okay. Um, an alarm going off on my watch, and I can't get my finger in there to stop it. Anyway, um, let me comment on verses 6 through 10. Um, For thus has Yah said to me, set a watchman, tell him, uh, let him tell what he sees. That's in verse 6. The simple meaning of this is the following verses, or and the following verses, is that the prophet is relating how the Babylonians would set a watcher on the ramparts of the city out of fear of the invading Persians and Medians, and that he could cry out that they were coming. However, the Midrashic explanation is that Elohim was already telling Isaiah that he would appoint a watchman, i.e. a seer or a prophet, uh, who would complain about the length of the bitter exile under Babylon, this was the prophet Habakkuk, who traced the circle on the ground and declared that he would not step out of it until he received an answer from Elohim as to why the vision of the destruction of Babylon, uh, why the wicked prosper, rather. That's uh, in Ta'anis uh, 23a, and it said, see, know your Bible on Habakkuk 1 and 2. Now, Habakkuk was eventually granted a vision of the destruction of Babylon under Belshazzar. And Isaiah alludes to Habakkuk's vision, in which the watcher rides uh, um, the watcher riders on a camel and a donkey. Okay, these symbolize Persia and Media. The lion who cries in verse eight is the prophet Habakkuk. The gematria of Aryeh is two six two one six which equals the, the uh, gematria of Habakkuk as well, that Rashi brought that out. Now, the watchman declares that Babylon has fallen. He repeats it twice because Babylon has fallen and is destined to fall again. Again, we were talking, what we're seeing here is very much what we're going to see in the, in the, when the book of Revelation reveals itself to us in real life. Okay, that's what's going on here. The watchman declares that Babylon has fallen. He repeats it twice because Babylon has fallen and is destined to fall again. Perhaps we are witnessing the destined future fall of Babylon in our times as Iraq tears itself to pieces. Babylon is trodden underfoot like corn on the threshing floor. Perhaps we are seeing witnessing the destined fall of Babylon in the October 7th attacks on Israel and what they have been doing to Hamas, and how that's going to turn into World War III. We're going to probably include uh, uh, Russia and Ukraine in all of that, too, because that's where Gog and Magog were from. So <laughs> it's all end-time prophecy. It's, it's piecing itself together for us to see, if we'll watch. That's what I got. Okay. Uh, Ray, we've got just about a minute and a half. You got anything you want to add before there? Uh, I got someplace I want to take us after the top of the hour, but we'll wait. Um, in any case, uh, if you do, go ahead and, and uh, take us to the break. Well, just, uh, I'll just tag on to what uh, MP had to say, uh, in verse 10, talking about the, uh, the winnowing one, the threshing floor, uh, that whole, uh, thing. Again, in Habakkuk 3.12, it says, You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger, using the same uh, the same images. Uh, 
the uh, uh, in uh, Matthew three, it says he is winnowing. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So these are all, yeah, these are all verses that we we know. But again, uh, talk about uh, multiple witnesses. Uh, again, I, th- I think this is one of the reasons that we talk about uh, uh, th- things aren't the same, but they tend to rhyme, and and that is and that's because we continue to hear. The same message. Why is that? It's because it's his message. It's one message. <laughs> yeah. The reason and, and that we keep, we keep hearing it is because it's still there. It's still and we keep making message. the same mistakes, with you entirely too. on that. Yeah. And and not only that, but it repeats itself over and over and over again because we're too stupid to learn. Yeah. From <laughs> exactly. I was a school teacher, and we used to have a little uh, uh, teacher's break room thing where we'd say, you know, you learn them and you learn them, and they just don't learn. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) All right. And the truth. 20 seconds. we got about 30 seconds. Till till break. And uh, what I'm going to do is the following. I'll suggest that when we come back, and not like we haven't talked about this before, but for reasons that I think are particularly poignant today, and I'll introduce this as we come back from the break, um, the uh, the references to Babylon are especially relevant. And I pray, don't take me soon, because I am here for reasons. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know something either or turn around because all my life I've been waiting for, I've been praying for, for the people to say that we don't want to fight no more, there'll be no more war, and our children will pay. We're gonna sing. We're gonna shout the song of the ones who overcome the song of the Lamb, the song of Moshe, the song of the ones who overcome. Welcome to the Tanakh edition of the Torah Teachers Roundtable with your host Ray Harrison, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call, where, as always, we continue to hope that you'll find this program educational and interesting and rewarding, but above all, you'll take that lesson from the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself, see if these things be true. All right, folks, we are back to the uh, second hour now of the Torah Teachers Roundtable to Knock edition. And uh, this is one of those places where I think it's kind of fascinating to see how not only is this particular um, prophecy and or at this point a uh, bit of history repeated, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and all the carved images of her gods, he, and that sounds like it means yod Vavhe, has broken to the ground and... Um, I guess what I want to do is just lay something out with perhaps broad strokes, because there's all kinds of detail and all kinds of things we connect here. But um, as uh, as a lot of folks know, I have occasionally been uh, been wont to refer to the United States, not necessarily as Babylon precisely, although I think there are elements of uh, not just Babylon in the U.S., but Egypt and maybe some Edom as well and, and others too. But... Um, 
not not so so not Babylon directly, but certainly part of the Greater Babylon metro area. In other words, there are there are references to so many things in history and in prophecy that we can see. And remember, Babylon was was used both as a uh, as an antagonist, and um, it was also used as a way to punish. Um, Israel and uh, the uh, the northern kingdom and uh, ultimately the southern kingdom. In other words, his people who got out of line and needed exactly the kind of comeuppance that he was uh, had already told them they were going to get. And here we are today. We're we're seeing something similar, arguably. Uh, you know, I like the line from uh, Billy Graham or maybe his wife who said, "If the United, if uh, if the Lord God in heaven does not judge the United States of America, He will owe a sincere apology to Sodom and Gomorrah." And I think that is increasingly undeniable. So um, understand as well that, that Babylon was both a, um, a conquering nation and a nation that, as we're seeing in this section, was then destroyed too. And sadly, um, over its history, the United States has filled most of those roles. All right, MP, were you trying to say something there? I was just agreeing with you. You were absolutely right. The, the uh, Everything is... I mean, really and truly, the the scripture just keeps repeating. Yah keeps repeating himself over and over again to his people, and and one of these days we'll actually get it. Uh yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> but, but we haven't yet. Well, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we will. Uh, uh, but that's kind of the whole point. But it, the other thing with this, Mark, and I, I'm in agreement with you uh, uh, as well. But the thing to remember is Babylon was and is certainly a place. Uh, it's also can be many places, but more, more so than that, I view Babylon as a, as a philosophy, as a exactly. system, uh, as a way to control people, a way to, uh, a, a whole way of acting and thinking. We just saw, uh, we just saw a meeting of Babylon that took place for a whole week in Davos, Switzerland. You bet. Uh, you know, I mean, this is this is this is quintessentially Babylon. Uh, you know, Absolutely. where the, where the uh, God is left out of the picture. We can solve all our own problems. We're you know, shut up, don't bother us. We know what's best for you. Th- that whole Even if philosophy it kills you. And, and and all that is part and parcel of it. And I think that's that's where all of this has has so much universal. It reads universally to me, uh, not not just as a certain nation or a certain place. Amen. Yeah. Now, the I, ironic part of that, uh, you know, uh, just just keep your mouth shut because we know what's best for you, uh, when in fact they know what's best for themselves, which is to take everything that we possibly could could own and and uh, and and use for our own good, take it away from us and have all wealth to themselves. That's what they're looking to do. Okay. Absolutely, and, and, that, and, and that is a, a, a Tower of Babel, Babylonian uh, concept. You know, absolutely. Uh, 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 you know, that's that that's one of those things when you look at so many of the the despots of the world. Uh, you know, <laughs> remember Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. they, they just go on. It goes on and on and on and on and on. You know, the poor people in the Philippines were absolutely starving to death. And, uh, you know, she had hundreds of thousands of pairs of shoes. And, you know, what can I say? Well, okay. And and before yeah, we... Yeah, like Hillary. 
I'm going to I'm going to add one more element that I think is um, at this point, especially today, as I was reading these and thinking about some of the pieces, and then I saw the news this morning, um, and uh, I spent some time talking about it on the news show. But ultimately, the Supreme Court came out and they said that. Um, even though the United States is being invaded, and even though the Constitution not once, not twice, but multiple times explicitly says that the central government has an obligation to defend the states from invasion, and that ultimately the uh, the time when a state may make right. war, the only time that the state is actually allowed to make war without the permission of Congress is when there is an emergency, like an invasion uh, that is imminent or already in progress. And here the Supreme Court this week, yesterday as a matter of fact, came out. Out with a, um, a majority, a five to four majority of, I'm going to call them what they are, traitors. People who put their hands on a Bible and lie. Yeah. And they made no reference to the, to the uh, Constitution whatsoever. They made no reference to the fact that it is explicitly enumerated that Texas has every right to say when there's an invasion going on, we're going to say no. We're going to put up barbed wire. We could send troops down there. And what is the Big Brother doing? They're going to send in the so-called Border Patrol to say, come on, invaders, come on in. We'll cut the barbed wire, and we will allow the regime to do it. Well, you know what I'm talking about here? This is Babylon. This is basically a statement that the United yeah. States deserves the invasion, and we're getting exactly what Babylon was warned is going to happen. And uh, it, I'll admit it, guys, it infuriates me because, as you both said, they keep doing the same thing over and over again and then wondering why it is that we are being – now, well, visited with exactly that which we so richly deserve. Um, was that you, MP? Let me go, you go first yeah. if you want. I was I was just agreeing with you both, and it, and what surprised me is that two so-called conservative justices. What a lie! Amy Coney Barrett and uh, the chief justice. What's his name? I can't remember what his Roberts. Name is. Anyway, Roberts, the uh, the black they voted with the liberals on the. On the court. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. John Roberts. I mean, they they just turn coats. You know, and the 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 one Amy Coney Barrett, she was uh, she was appointed by Trump, and uh, the Chief Justice, uh, I can't remember what his name is now. Roberts. John Roberts. Uh, yeah, Roberts. yeah. Uh, was was appointed by uh, George H. George W. Bush. Okay. Yeah. Now, George W. Bush. Is may as well have been a, uh, a Democrat, okay? His father certainly was, um, but the one that the one that Trump appointed, and then she must have really, really put uh, pulled a, the wool over his eyes to get that appointment. Well, because I mean, well, look at Tony Fauci. Is all the, all the I, I'm not so certain about that. I, <laughs> I agree. I, I I wonder the kind of pressure that is being brought to bear. Uh, the, the Supreme Court is supposed to be explicitly apolitical. That's that's the Correct. one branch of government that is to be apolitical, and it has been so highly politicized. And and the political pressure that's being brought brought to bear on members of the court is is absurd uh, to the point that they really can't they can't function, they can't do their jobs. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily feeling sorry for either of those, uh, for the way they voted. I think if you're going to be a justice on the Supreme Court, you vote your conscience, you know, uh, damn the torpedoes in full speed ahead. But, yeah. uh, but anyway. But they it's, voted uh, their pocketbook. 
Well, no, it's not even their pocketbook. Well, either that or they voted to keep their families alive or something. Yes, exactly. I, I think that's yeah. exactly what we need to be be addressing here is this is so serious that what what they did is to say we have an actual invasion in progress. And uh, I, I have uh, – there's no polite way to put it. The Supreme Court literally flipped the middle finger at Texas and at America and said when the Constitution matters and when the time comes to recognize that you've had it, we're going to say, come on, invaders, you just take what you want. And sadly, uh, that is exactly what it is the Scripture promises, an invasion. You'll be the tail and not the head. All the curses, you can read through them in Deuteronomy chapter yep. uh, 28, 29, and other places. We are seeing every single bit of this come to pass. You, you can read it in, in Isaiah 21. That's what we're doing here. Well, that's the <laughs> point. That's what brought all this up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, any, any, any of you guys have anything else you want to add on, on all of this? I think it's, it's vital to recognize that, um, yes, we look at these portions and we, we read some of this and we say, okay, this was the time of, of Sargon and this was the time of uh, various, uh, elements of, uh, ancient Babylon and, uh, you know, what happened uh, on that particular night with the, re- the handwriting on the wall. And yet, uh, you know, the handwriting on the wall is still every bit as appropriate today as it ever was. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, the, the, the difference is, is the handwriting on the wall isn't being reported today. Uh, yeah, well, that's the O-media part. <laughs> Besiege O-media. The handwriting is on the wall. It's just not being reported. Yeah, It's not being reported in the media. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. But uh, but people who have who have know anything about what the Scripture says about this kind of stuff and what and about the end of days, we know. That that's what is going on, and we're and we're warning everybody that we possibly can. Okay, I mean I, I do it on my on my uh, Shabbat Bible studies. Oh no, you know, and uh, I'm sure that Mark does the same, and <laughs> and I'm sure that Ray does the same when he's got a a, a voice to when he's got an, an ability to use his voice in that way. We are watching out for what's going on. And we're reporting it to you here on TTRT every week, okay? And and we get to repeat ourselves over and over and over and over again because that's what the Scripture does. It tells us right here in verse 21, and I guarantee you they're going to, he's going to tell us in verse 22, chapter 22, and then he's going to tell us in chapter 23 all the way through this book. Tell them what I told you. Okay, I'm going to quit there. Okay. <laughs> Well, uh, so I will I will read on here, and uh, I think we'll see some echoes of, of some of this, including in the next couple of verses. So it goes like this. Um, after Babylon has fallen, has fallen, and all the carved images of her God, uh, gods he has broken to the ground. Um, isn't that an interesting concept? Because as of yet, folks, while Babylon the Great is in the process of being um, invaded and fallen, those carved images of the gods, well, hell, they were on display at Davos. And um, while, uh, you know, Yuval Noah Harari yes, may were. think he's a god, he hasn't fallen to the ground yet. So, oh, my threshing and the grain of my floor, he continues, that which I have heard from Yahuwah Zevuot, Elohim of Israel, I have declared to you. So this is the nature of the prophet. Two, uh, well, the burdens against uh, Damah. 
uh, Duma, rather. And now that's an interesting term. I'll, uh, mm-hmm. I know MP will probably uh, uh, say this as well, but uh, essentially Duma is uh, often said by uh, a lot of the, um, the scholars to be another reference to Edom. In other words, the place where yes, uh, exactly. I, I already think there are plenty of parallels. And uh, Edom, remember, what is Esau? Esau is Edom. Esau was the um, was the individual who, because he traded his birthright for a cup of pottage, Ben Franklin put it this way, I like to note, not just trading your birthright for a cup of pottage, but trade essential liberty for a little temporary security. Edom despised his birthright. Isn't that true of an America that despises its birthright and is willing to give it away and let a Supreme Court gang rape the Constitution and Bill of Rights? And Americans stand by and say, I guess we can't stop the invaders from coming on in. Maybe they'll take my my ranch there on the border. So the burden against uh, Edom. He calls me out of Seir and says, Watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? Hmm. Repeat it twice. The watchman said, the morning comes and also the night. If you will inquire, inquire, return, come back. And then we're going to get a, uh, a shift, the uh, proclamation against another reference, uh, against Arabia. All right, uh, Mark, let's go to you this time. You got anything you want to put on uh, the table on those particular verses? Um, yeah, where did, where did, did you finish reading the chapter? No, I went to uh, verse... 20, uh, just two verses. Yeah, just shy of 16. Just, verse just about Edom. Yeah, just about Edom. Okay, okay, about Edom, okay. Or 11 and 12. Okay, 11 and 12, okay. So the, um, okay, the, uh, the name Duma is a reference to Edom, according to Rashi. And in this prophecy, <clears throat> Elohim says that Israel cries out to Elohim, its watchman, because of the oppression of the night. In other words, the exile inflicted by Edom, whose Homeland was Seir. Now, uh, the deliverance is at hand, but the night will continue for the wicked. Only repentance will bring the long-awaited salvation. And then in verse 13, I got this. The Dedanites, who had availed themselves of the Dedanites, I should say, uh, who had uh, availed themselves of the hospitality of the Arabs whenever they traveled through the desert, would now lodge in the forests because Arabs would be driven from their land. Okay? That's kind of interesting. The Arabs who will be captured and led into exile will be starving and thirsty, dependent on the good will of the neighbors uh, um, for survival. And uh, my notes went away completely. i got to find them. I'm going to stop there and let you guys... uh, <clears throat> okay, uh, just uh, just a couple of little points of interest. Uh, Duma was also uh, one of the sons of Ishmael. Okay, so yes. there, yeah. there, there is also there is, uh, as you'll recall, the um, there there were twelve sons of Ishmael as well as twelve sons uh, uh, the, of Isaac, the princes, uh, or the twelve tribes. Of, we have two. We have twelves on both sides uh, of the yeah. Abrahamic uh, lineage, so so that's that's uh, rather interesting, and, and it's and it's interesting that that they're <laughs> they're worrying Messiah and anti-Messiah. They know that yeah, they know that something's coming. Morning is coming. Uh, you know, if you'll inquire, inquire. Uh, it, it, it's 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 just it's it's like. Uh, <laughs> 
It's kind of like the scary part in a movie where you put your hands over your face so you can't see it, but you peek through the cracks <laughs> in your fingers. You know, it's kind of like there. That's what I, I, I get out of this with, uh, uh, with this, uh, this, uh, Basa aimed towards, uh, 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 towards Edom, uh, and, and all of that. It's like, you guys, you guys think that you aren't going to get your comeuppance in this. No, it's, uh, Sennacherib and that they're going to roar through your land as well. And they're going to take you and they're going to take the Arabs and they're going to take all kinds of stuff on their way to Babylon. And so, you know, don't, don't think you're, don't think you can just whistle here in the dark and nobody's going to see you. So. Okay. It's my thought on those two verses. Um, MP, you, are you ready to move on or okay. you want to add more? Ye may as well. Why don't you read on Mark 13? So um, we'll finish the chapter at this point, of course. The burden against Arabia. In the forest of in Arabia, you will lodge, O you traveling companions of Dadonites, O inhabitants of the land of Tamar, bring water to him who is thirsty. With their bread they met him who fled, for they fled from the swords, from the drawn sword, from the bent bow, and from the distress of war. For thus Yahuwah has said to me, Within a year, according to the year of a hired man, all the glory of Kedar will fail, and the remainder of the number of archers, the mighty men of the people of Kedar, will be diminished. For Yahuwah, Elohim of Israel, has spoken. And uh, as you might suspect, this is another place where there is uh, a lot of uh, input from history. And uh, the question is, uh, is that it, or is uh, is there more to come? Um, so, uh, Ray, let me go to you this time. Mm. Um, it, it, it just It's interesting to me, and I don't know if this is simply the... Uh, 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 I mean, in the Hebrew, uh, I have in my uh, in my version, uh, rather than forest, the thickets in Arabia. I can almost believe that more so than forest. Okay. But uh, uh, yeah, the the word is ya'ar, which is uh, 3293. Yeah, 3293. Um, I, I just find that fascinating uh, that there that that there were at this point in time, and I guess I, I've got to remember that uh, uh, at the time of 700 B.C., the climate was different than it is now. Uh, it isn't the steam engines that, that changed it, but uh, <laughs> yes. the, 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 probably that whole, uh, that whole area of the world was considerably more lush than, than it is now. Um, uh, again, uh, Tema, Tema is, a, is a, a city that's close to... A lot, if I'm not mistaken, I may be mistaken on that. Uh, uh, <laughs> you couldn't possibly be mistaken. No, no, me and mistakes, we're good buddies. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to see. Uh, I can't get a map up quickly enough. I, I think it's uh, that, that that was part of the trade route that was going. That was going. Uh, of course, we had just spoken. Uh, of Edom before, so th- this is these two are kind of intertwined uh, uh, t- together. But uh, I-, I think historically, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that uh, the uh, that the Arabians were uh, were taken uh, were taken during this period, and I think it was 
Uh, my notes say uh, in 715 Sargon, I'm not sure who that is. Uh, MP, you can figure that out. Sargon II campaigned against the tribes between Tama and the Gulf of Aqaba. And, and in 703, the Arabs joined in the rebellion with Merodach, uh, and they were subdued by Sennacherib. So in other words, they were, the, 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 the ever, everybody's trying to make all these alliances and see what they can do to, to, uh, to kind of, uh, better their game. And, and they, they, they keep getting, they keep getting knocked out. And again, same old message, uh, don't trust these people. They're not your allies. If you ally yourself with them, you're, you're gonna you're gonna get what they get. So that's that, that's about all I've got there. I don't have a lot of historical notes on this. Go ahead. Mark. All right. Well, um, the the uh, well, let me let me cover this. The the literal meaning of the words of the prophecy indicate that the fearful people of Duma. Um, Edom, uh, who were under attack, appoint a, a watchman and anxiously ask him if enemies are coming in the night. That's verse 11. In verse 12, the watchman replies that even after the morning arrives, another fear-filled night will follow and that the people will continue asking anxiously, according to Radak on verses 11 and 12. All this is reminiscent of present-day high terror alerts. However, Rashi explains the Midrashic interpretation of the verses. The prophet is crying out to Elohim over the burden of the rule of Seir, that is Edom, asking the guard, that is Shomer Israel, the guardian of Israel, in Psalm 121.4, what will be of this long night? Elohim answers that he has the power to shine the light of morning to Israel while causing the darkness to fall, of night rather, to fall upon the wicked Esau at the end of days. And Elohim tells the people of Israel, if you seek to quicken the end, return and repent. That according to Rashi on verses 11 and 12, Radak and other people like that. Now the burden of Arad in verse 13, the simple meaning of the prophecy is that the people of Arad would be forced to lodge as fugitives in the forest, desperately in need of water and bread, from anyone who would have pity on them. Midrash Echa darshans that the exile of the Dedanim would take place because of the lack of compassion. For while Elohim provided their ancestor Ishmael with water in the desert, the Dedanim, or Didanim, refused to give water to the thirsty Israelites when they went into exile, despite the fact that they were their cousins, not according to the name Dodin. Okay. We are at the break. We'll take it on the other side. After this. And I pray, don't take me soon, because I am here for reasons. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So my negativity surrounds, I know something in an ulcer to wrap it up. All my life I've been waiting for, I've been praying for, for the people to say that we don't want to fight no more. There'll be no more war, and our children will pay. Do-do-do-dum, do-do-do-dum-dum. 
Welcome back, folks, to the final segment today of the Welcome. Four Teachers Roundtable, Tanakh Edition, and we are moving into Chapter 22 of the Prophet Yeshayahu or Isaiah. And uh, this one, in a lot of Bibles, will have the uh, that have a, uh, a study or a title or a, uh, some indicator at the top of the chapter uh, is often referred to as the Proclamation Against Jerusalem. The first line says the burden against the Valley of Vision, and as you might guess, the Valley, since Jerusalem is a valley and surrounded by mountains, uh, and you hear valley. Of vision. Well, one standard understanding, I'm not saying it's the only one certainly, and maybe that's um, a subject of discussion too, but um, it's often said to be, all right, we're talking when the valley of vision is mentioned about Jerusalem. So it says, the burden against that valley. What ails you now that you've gone all, uh, you've all gone up to the housetops? You who are full of noise, a tumultuous city, a joyous city, your slain men, not slain with the sword nor dead in battle, all your rulers have fled together. They're captured by the archers, and uh, all who are found in you are bound together. They have <coughs> fled from afar. Therefore, I said, look away from me. I will weep bitterly. Do not labor to comfort me because of the plundering of the daughter of my people. And I'll read uh, just one or two more verses to kind of put this in perspective, and then we'll go, uh, we'll go to Ray this time first. Um, for it is a day of trouble and treading down and perplexity by Yahuwah Zevuot in the Valley of Vision, breaking down the walls and of crying to the mountain. Um, and let's pause there. We'll, uh, we'll come back to some of the other references in a second. Go ahead, Ray. Um, just, uh, I, I think what, what we see here, and, and I'm just, I, I'm stuttering because the, I see so many different allusions to different places in scripture. Uh, we, we know that we hear, uh, that, uh, we hear in Matthew that when the, when the, when the time comes, don't even, and you're up on the house, don't go up to the housetops, flee. Yep. This is uh, speaking of uh, when the uh, uh, man of perdition is uh, is in the temple and and all of that, and that's a, a warning to the uh, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem at that point in time. Uh, interestingly, uh, the, the leaders are captured. Basically, what what I'm seeing in these first four or five verses is that that the, the city's going to fall if you don't, are not slain. During the conclusion uh, of of that and the battering of the walls and and all that sort of thing, the the uh, the option that is left for you uh, uh, is probably captivity. And if you're lucky enough to get away, there's a third option. And this is the this reminds me uh, uh, of Revelation. And uh, I I was looking a moment ago and I can't find the reference in Revelation. Um, but uh, it talks about <clears throat> that there are basically three three destinies that are talked about, uh, and it's near it's uh, uh, 
near the place where they're, uh, the 144,000 are sealed. Uh, and it talks about that those that are destined for captivity go into captivity. Those that are, de- those that live by the sword will die by the sword. And then the third one you kind of have to read into, but the third destiny is those who, uh, who flee, those who escape, who can survive, uh, uh, that, that if they will be blessed if they can, if they can, uh, uh, withstand and, uh, per, uh, and prevail to the, to the end. And so if those are kind of the basic three destinies that we see there, I, I, I'm kind of, maybe I'm, maybe I'm reaching a bit to reach back into history and see, see that same sort of thing. But, uh, I, I just see, uh, I see that, um, more and more in our society now. We have folks that are so confused, they absolutely don't know what to do. And if things happen, they would, they would go into captivity because they can't make up, a, they can't make up their mind. They can't make decisions. They don't know what to do. They, they're completely clueless. They, they, <laughs> they, they haven't thought anything through. There are those that, uh, for, for better or for worse. And I'm, and I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, gonna, uh, lay a slant on this one way or the other. The, those that live by the sword die by the sword. Uh, my dad was a career military man. He was a Marine. Three, three wars. World War II, Korea, Vietnam. Uh, he certainly, that was his life. Uh, but, uh, you know, there are those who say, uh, you know, I'm not gonna put up with this anymore. I'm gonna pick up my rifle and, by golly, I'm going to do that. I'm not ascribing right or wrong to that sort of thing. But if you live that way and you live by those rules, chances are pretty good that's that's going to be your fate on the way out as well. And then I guess that's for for those of us that I hope are left, that uh, they talk about a greater exodus uh, and all that sort of thing. Those are the ones that flee. Uh, and... Uh, Anyway, I'm, I'm off topic, so I will be quiet now. No, that's an interesting <laughs> set of uh, set of observations and, and things to tie together. I, I guess the only thing I could add to that, Ray, is that when you see what's going on and you, you start to connect all these dots, uh, and, and maybe this has been true throughout human history, but perhaps it's more true now, we naturally tend to see this and read into uh, – into what's coming, uh, some kind of an understanding of the end of days. Uh, MP is certainly want to do that, right? Mark, go ahead. Oops, we lost him. Oh, again. Okay. Um, if if you want Ray uh, wax eloquent for a second, and I will do what I've been doing all day, it seems, and that's trying to reconnect. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes forever because this okay, tool we'll is so user friendly. Um, again, then, uh, uh, kind of freewheeling here with this, but uh, I, I think I think uh, the, this notion of uh, the destinies, uh, three broad destinies that face. Uh, mankind and certainly face believers, uh, in the God of Israel in, in, in the final days is, is, have you, have you thought your way through this? And I'll challenge, uh, our listeners to think about this, uh, if you haven't done it already, I'm sure that many have. That, uh, uh, what, 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 what will you do, uh, under certain circumstances? How will you, how do you think you will react? How, are you are you making any any plans or preparations? I I would note that that there are a lot of people that are out there in the kind of prepping community that are boy I'll tell you what they're gathering all kinds of stuff and all that and and that's a, that's a good thing. Being prepared is a good thing. 
but, you know, I, I don't find any place in the story of the Exodus where they where they left Egypt with uh, uh, gobs of canned peaches and uh, and. And their and their pails of beans and this and that and the other thing. On the contrary, they left with with what they could what they could put in their uh, in their carts, drawn by their animals. That would be for us in our pickup trucks or oh, if we've got a little trailer or something like that. Uh, they left with those things uh, and but- they they took food to begin with. But then after a week's time, uh, and uh, they had crossed the Red Sea, they uh, at, at that point in time. Then they became, and they had to become, dependent on the Lord to provide not only food but water for them as well. Amen. And uh, so, so, so for us that that are, uh, I I believe that uh, be, because of the of the scripture that says there will come a time when the first Exodus is not even remembered because the second one was so great. I I be, I, I believe that that is a uh, hello there. That is okay. us. All right, that's well, for us again. So, let me add, uh, MP is back. Uh, let me add one and I'll thing. I'll turn it over. Let me add one thing since Mark didn't hear your comment anyway, and that is that uh, I appreciate all of that, Ray. The only thing I would note is that um, there, there were two things. One, you kind of alluded to it. When the people came out of Mitzrayim, they did come out with all their animals. They had lots and lots of animals, and that was one of the things that that uh, you see during mm-hmm. the time of the plagues. Uh, they're going to bring them, and uh, you know, Moshe said because we got to sacrifice to Yahuwah, but also they. Went into the land with him. It seems like so. There's that element. All, and and finally, yes. they had tents and they had uh, sandals on their feet and they had clothing. And um, it, you know, it was pointed out to us that the sandals that they had didn't wear out. And a number of things that they brought with yes. them lasted the duration. So I've always thought that was kind of fascinating. Uh, and I guess among other things, it says you know buy at least halfway decent stuff so that it lasts long enough to get to the point where you're going to need it before <laughs> when you come out. And uh, and make well, sure, in other words, that we're ready as best we can. Uh, go ahead, Ray. And I and I, I guess the uh, the uh, again the the thing there. And if you're looking for lessons, the lesson. In that is is you're right. They left. They had their carts. They had their animals. They had uh, they had to they had to provide their own shelter. So shelters of something I'd maybe urge people to think about. Uh, and what's that going to be? How can if you're if you're a youngish person, maybe that's a maybe that's a tent and some way to schlep the tent. If you're an older person such as me, maybe that means that's going to be some kind of cart or or, or trailer or, or some other. Uh, vehicle. I, I mean, I, I don't know what the future will bring, but but uh, God didn't provide the shelter for them. They had to provide their own shelters. He did provide food for them. He did provide water for them. He did provide uh, shade in the daytime and light at night for them to be able to see where they were going and what they were doing. And uh, and so I think we can we can count on the same things that the that the original ones could. Uh, but bringing a whole lot more aside from that, I, I don't know. I don't know of what use it will be. Okay. Yeah. And uh, well, there's there's more we could say on that. But I know MP's back right. with us finally. It was no mean feat to get him back online again. So uh, pick it up, Mark. <laughs> My phone turned itself off. Okay. Yeah. Because when I tried, it weren't there. It wouldn't let me. Uh, it wouldn't let me connect you. Yeah, it was just not a very good, uh, not a very good afternoon. Anyway, um, actually, the program has been pretty good tonight. Uh, how far did you read? 
I read through um, about uh, verse um, five and six. Five, I think, yes. Yeah, one through okay, five. About verse five. Yeah. All right, good deal. Yeah, um, and this, not quite let to me six. comment on some of that. <laughs> let me comment on some of that. Um, beginning in verse one, um, it, it says the the prophecy concerning the valley of vision, and the comment in the stones Tanakh is that's Jerusalem, where many prophetic visions were seen, according to Rashi. Though it is a on a hilltop, its sins brought it down to a spiritual valley. The people went to the roofs to seek shelter from invaders or to fight from the, that vantage point, according to Radak. The, uh, the prophet rejected his comforters in verse 4. And uh, verse, 20, verse 5 is kind of interesting. Um, let me, let me uh, do this. Uh, uh, Bird to the Valley of Vision, verse 1. The Valley of Vision is Jerusalem, the valley above which the majority of the prophecies prophesy. Uh, according to Rashi and others. Uh, verses 1 through 14 of this chapter prophesy the fall of Jerusalem at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 1, what, what ails you now that you have all gone up to the roofs? One interpretation is that when the enemy would come against Jerusalem, all the people would climb onto the roofs to see what was happening and to mobilize for war. The Midrash tells that the that before the destruction of the temple, the priests went up onto the roof and handed back the keys to heaven. So that according to Rashi again, and uh, and Tanis in 29a. So the uh, and those are those are rabbinic things that I really don't know what they are. Um, the Tanis 29a is a commentary of some kind, but I have never seen one. Anyway, the prophet foretells that the fate of those who would starve in the siege would be worse than that of those who would be killed in battle, in verse 2. All your fathers have fled together, in verse 3. This alludes to the nighttime flight of King Tzidkiyahu and his ministers, which led to his capture, again, according to Rashi. Now, therefore, I said, look away from me, I will weep bitterly, in verse 4. Yah himself mourns secretly over the plight of his people. And he, I'm sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there because you read through verse five, right? Yeah. We're ready for six. Okay. And uh, that is pretty much that is pretty much all I've got to deal with right now. Um, yeah, I've I've covered everything that I've got. All right, uh, Ray. So we can we can move on if we haven't. Uh, uh, I, I would say at that point, then go ahead, uh, Mark, and uh, and uh, I think uh, pick it up in verse six and read on for a while. Yes, and we'll go through uh, we'll go through several verses on this one. We've got about six minutes left on the show for today. So, um, Elam bore the quiver with chariots of men and horsemen, and Kir uncovered the shield. It shall come to pass that your choicest valleys shall be full of chariots, and the horsemen shall set themselves in array at the gate. So this sounds like a battle being set up. He removed the protection yes. of Judah. You looked in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. Now, the King James, or the New King James, which is probably similar, capitalizes that like it's a proper noun. Um, 
You also saw the damage to the city of David, that it was great. And you gathered together the waters of the lower pool. You numbered the houses of Jerusalem and the houses you broke down to fortify the wall. You also made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. So if you understand a little bit about siege mentality and what's going to come when things get surrounded, people realize, hey, you know what we've got in here? This is what we're going to have to live with and last for a while. So when it comes to food, when it comes to water, uh, what we've got is what we We've got, and um, when it comes to some of those things, of course, one of the one of the elements of making sure that a siege is survivable is that uh, if there are wells or if there are things that provide water into the city, that makes for a longer ability to survive. But on the other hand, that's also the first thing that the uh, the invaders, the the wannabe conquerors, those that surround it and lay siege, are going to want to try to take out. But you, he says, did not look to its maker, nor did you res- have respect for him who fashioned it long ago. And I'll read a couple more verses, and then we'll, we'll go to Mark first. And in that day, Yahuwah Zebuot called for weeping and for mourning, for baldness and for girding with sackcloth, but instead joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating meat and drinking wine, saying, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That sounds like something we've seen in both movies and, uh, uh, you know, on the, uh, the, the, the <laughs> crappy news networks. Then it was revealed to my, in my hearing by Yahuwah Zevuot, surely for this iniquity there will be no atonement for you, even unto your death, says Yahuwah Zevuot. So, um, a, I guess the wrong attitude at a time when you should have the right attitude. Uh, go ahead, Mark. Okay, so we're talking here about uh, Jerusalem's inhabitants, and here's what uh, Stone Sanak has to say about uh, 22, 8 through 11. Isaiah decries the misplaced confidence of the Jews. They were sure that the temple, the shelter of Judah, would protect them. When the enemy prevailed anyway, the people turned to a building called the House of the Forest of Lebanon. And you can see that in 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 16, where King Shlomo had stored shields and armaments. Seeing that the enemy had breached the wall, they gathered water to make mortar and tore down houses to, to acquire building blocks for repairs. The people drew the wrong conclusions. They trusted in external protection, but failed to wait on the only one, capital O, one, who, capital W-H, guess who that is, could help them. Okay, Elohim called upon the people through the uh, agency of his prophets to repent, to bemoan their shortcomings, and to return to him. Now, here's what Azamra has to say about all this. And he bare the covering of Judah, and you looked on that day to the armor of the house of the forest, verse 8. The covering of Judah was the temple which the people thought would protect them, but God allowed it to be destroyed because instead of repenting, the people looked to the armor that was stored in the temple treasury, the house of the forest is what that is. Keep uh, putting their faith in arms and armaments as depicted in the coming verses, which describe how the people defiantly fortified the city in preparation for a siege. Okay, then in verses 11, 12 through 14, Elohim called on or called for mourning and repentance, but instead the people ate, drank, and celebrated, for tomorrow we die, they said. It was because they showed no qualms of conscience over the imminent destruction of the temple that Elohim refused to grant them atonement except through their death. 
Our sages learned from verse 14 that if a person publicly desecrates the name of Hashem, he cannot secure complete atonement through repentance only, but only with his death. And that according to Yoma 86a. That all makes absolutely perfect sense, and that's where these people were. They were not trusting Yah at all. They were trusting to force of arms, and they didn't even consult with Yah as they were going to battle. Anyway, that's what I got. Okay. Uh, Ray, if you got... Go ahead. Um, Just uh, uh, pointing out again uh, in verse 13, it's uh, uh, a a quote that we have heard before, you know, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And and you're right. right, I think it's been used in a number of uh, movies, Hollywood movies, yeah. and, and so on. It it appears uh, that that verse is quoted in First Corinthians, in chapter 15, verse 32. It says, what do I gain if you if humanly speaking, I fought with the beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You know, so uh, interestingly quoted. Uh, 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 quoted there, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, is it in James? Yeah, in James, in the fifth chapter, there, there's kind of a, a, a nod to this. As well, it said, "You will have, you have lived on the earth in luxury, and in self-indulgence, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter." So that's that, that kind of speaks about the, the 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 same thing, and I think it's one of those things. That uh, that as uh, one of the one of the rabbis that uh, MP was quoting, it's it's goodness gracious they're they're preparing for a battle. They can see what's coming. They know what's coming, and all of this. And rather than uh, make prayers and supplication and things like that, they decide, oh well, if tomorrow's going to be the last day, we I guess we better have prime rib tonight, you know, uh, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It, it just again it bespeaks a, a mentality that is that is curious and and uh, <laughs> and, and, and again it, it, it's hard <laughs> for. Well, it, it's it you know when you think of that and, and I I to be in to begin to try to understand this I try to put this in the context of um we the, the, for, for those of us that have had children. And when we've been dealing with our children in certain fashions and, and ways and all this, that, that when they will say things or do things like that, it's like, oh, well, well, if I'm going to get punished, then I guess I'm going to go do this thing again, you know, or make other childish, foolish statements and things like that. And you just kind of shake your head and roll your eyes like, wow, I, I just I, <laughs> I can't believe that you would that you would be thinking in this way. Uh, or acting in this way and all that. And, and we see that happen. At least I've seen it happen with, uh, certainly with children as a school teacher. I certainly saw yeah. students yeah. behave in similar kinds of ways. And you, you kind of, you, you kind of just think, wow, can't, can't, can't you, can't you reason your way through this and see, and, and see what's going on? And I, I guess some can and some can't. I, I, I don't know. We hope that uh, maturity will eventually win out, but 
All right. Sometimes I, I remember it an event. It doesn't. Uh, Ray, and th- oops, we're out of time. So we'll, uh, we'll say that and pick it up there next week. Thanks, folks. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.